Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Thursday Buckeye Talk, Cleveland.com, Doug Lane-Marie, Stephen Means. Talk about threats. Threats. When I came back from vacation, I said to the good texters, hey, what do you want us to talk about right away? And we got great responses. It was sort of like a rapid fire rants call out. I didn't mean it to be, but our texters are so responsive, it was. And so Stephen and I are going to deal with what one texter sent from the 419 would you guys rank the biggest threats facing Ohio State football? I'm thinking about Michigan, NIL, defensive reputation, USC, better recruiting from Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, Matt Rule, etc. Overcoming blips in recruiting with decommits. You have to balance short-term and long-term threats. But I think putting them on the same list makes for an interesting t- debate about importance. And I think our tech subscribers are really getting smart, Stephen. This is this an interesting way to think about this. Yeah, because it's about, okay, what's a threat this season, right? But then also, I, it's kind of on the back of the fact that Ohio State has lost to Michigan the last two years, and all of a sudden, George has been the best program in college football the last two years. That's a very different outlook than – we did a pod, I think, two years ago of ranking tiers of programs. How much mm. movement has been done in those tiers – over the past two years since we've done that. So it kind of wraps all that into the equation of, okay, Ohio State's not where it was two years ago, but also a lot of other programs that you weren't worried about two years ago. All of a sudden, you might have to worry about them. Plus, we're getting ready to get into a world where it's a 12-team playoff, so more teams get to come to the party at the end of the year. So I do like the way this question was asked because it allows us to talk about this year, which is the last year of the 14 playoff, but also 2026 the same way. Because, for instance, I don't have on my list Sam Hartman. Right. Hey, Notre Dame has a good veteran quarterback. He transferred from Wake Forest. He's a threat. It's like, well, just you might lose one game. That's not exactly what we're talking about here. But I also want to outline something very, very clearly. Because just because you ask what the biggest things are doesn't mean the thing exists. Mm-hmm. So if you said... What are Doug's strongest muscle groups? 
And you're going through, you're doing biceps, you're doing quads, you're doing gluteus maximus, you're doing abs, you're doing all those things. And you'd be like, man, Doug is kind of ripped. It'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Doug isn't ripped at all. But we're just saying among all his weak, noodly muscle groups, which is the strongest? So just because we're going to list, and the plan here, Stephen, is we're going to make a list of the top 10 threats to Ohio State football. You've made a list. I made a list. We're going to go back and forth. Doesn't actually mean that Ohio State is threatened. So I did very briefly with the with the tech subscribers. If you'll be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. You send a text, you get a link back, you sign up for a two-week free trial. You get to participate in, in surveys like this. I did ask the texters, Stephen, to rank some threats that I just came up with on the top of my head, and we'll mention those throughout the podcast. But I also asked this question. Do you fear there are legitimate threats inside and outside the program that could truly make Ohio State a much worse football program in the next five to 10 years? That's sort of how I thought about this exercise. And the choices were yes or no. I'll first ask you this. What do you think won? Yes, there are legitimate threats, or no, there really aren't that many legitimate threats? I think it was close, but yes. So no one. No one, 64% to 36%. So it's about two-thirds of the people think there's actually not threats to Ohio State. So now I'll ask you, do you think, the way I phrase the question, Stephen, in the next five to ten years, inside or outside threats that could make Ohio State a much worse program, would you vote yes, they exist, or no, they don't? I'd vote yes. I mean, we had to put together our own list, and I rattled them off pretty quickly before I started to slow down and have to think about it. And I'm not even, like you just said, it's not like any, you're not saying all of these are going to come true. You're not saying none of these are going to come true. It's just, I don't know how you can be yes for a team who hasn't won a national championship since 2014. So I would be, I I would say no. I, I actually don't think there are real threats because to me it would be, Ohio State's place in the college football world changing. That five from five to ten years from now, when we think of Ohio State football, we don't think of them the way we think about them now. And it's because something happened, whether it's on the outside or the inside. And I think when you look at the history of Ohio State football, when you go back to the start of the Jim Trestle era, you know, oh two one, especially the last two decades, Ohio State's place, they're in that same place. And we had the discussion about, is it a national title standard? I thought we had a good discussion about that. But even within that, to me, it's like, would they not, in five to 10 years from now, will they not be who they are now and who they have been for the last 20 years? Will something happen? Will something change? And I don't think it's going to happen. So I have a list of threats, but I don't think any of the threats are going to rise to the level of really knocking Ohio State from its current pedestal, which is at the top of the sport, right below Georgia and Bama, but absolutely right there with everybody else. And we've had a million conversations around that. So you and I differ on whether the threats exist. Two thirds of the people kind of think, no, like things will be fine. So let's start with our list and I'll let you go first. What in your mind is the number one threat inside or outside to the Ohio State football program? I know you're probably not going to agree with me with this, but it's Brian Hartline leaving too early. And the reason I'm so high on that is, yes, the quarterback play is what it is here, but Ohio State's not the only school who's got elite quarterback play. 
as a reputation at this point. Alabama's probably got it. Texas is trying to get it going with Quinn and Arch Manning up next probably, but then they've also, like, uh, uh, Malik Murphy's there. So they got some dudes behind Quinn Ewers there that set them up for the future. Obviously, Lincoln Riley is on the way to the Big Ten. Chip Kelly just got Dante Moore, uh, Michigan. I understand there's there's varying opinions about what people think about Jaden Davis now, but uh, listen, it seems like uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh's figured some things out there. Can Luke Fickle maybe get a quarterback? Uh, Notre Dame's got C.J. Carr on the way. Georgia's got five-star quarterback on the way. There's enough teams here. Clemson's got a five-star. There's enough teams who just have the quarterback play. Ohio State is the only team, if you start listing out teams where this is where you expect good quarterbacks to come out of, who can also pair it with, they've got two, three, elite wide receivers yearly coming in and it's it's a kind of the chicken or the egg conversation but it's not because we see it they don't have to go together just because your quarterback play is elite doesn't mean your receiving recruiting classes is going to be elite your receiver production and development is going to be elite every single year you take brian hartline out of the equation and now how state's wide receiver room it's good but it looks like usc's wide receiver room it looks like Alabama post that two-year run with those four guys, uh, Clemson's wide receiver room, what that looks like now, Georgia's wide receiver room. That's a different – we just did a whole thing about the passing game. That drastically changes what Ryan Day can do if the receivers aren't five-star top 50 recruits who are five yards open every single time, or at least in at least seven of the 12 games you play. So I did include that. I sent nine categories – uh, nine threats to the texters and the loss, the eventual loss of top assistants like Larry Johnson or Brian Hartline finished sixth of those nine. And I did not have this in my top five, but I think it certainly is an interesting thing to talk about. The thing that I wonder about in this, Stephen, is we have not seen Brian Hartline recruit to a non Ryan Day offense. And I'm not taking anything away from Brian Hartline. But when you think about that Ryan Day stumbled onto Chris Olave out in San Diego when he was going to look at Jack Tuttle, and Ryan Day was like, who's that guy? And that's kind of Ryan Day. And when you think about the Zach Smith, Urban Meyer stuff imploding Mm -hmm. while Garrett Wilson is committed to Ohio State, and Ryan Day plays a pretty big role, right, in like making Mm -hmm. sure they don't lose Garrett Wilson. And I do think Ryan Day individually as a recruiter, although he's a quarterback guru, he's a quarterback guy, he's a former quarterback, he's had roles in recruiting receivers in the past. He certainly has an offense and a, and a scheme and a game plan that helps develop receivers and puts them in the best positions possible to succeed. And so I'm not taking away from Brian Hartline, and I am certainly not saying they won't feel the loss of Brian Hartline if and when he departs to be a head coach somewhere to go to the NFL and coach there, whenever that might be. But I'm wondering like what percent could they keep it up? Especially if Keenan Bailey stays and slides into the heartline receiver role. Keenan Bailey had been sort of the right-hand man in the receiver room previously. He's a tight ends coach. Now people seem to really like Keenan. Now Keenan Bailey didn't play in the NFL. Keenan Bailey didn't play at Ohio state. Brian Hartline's the whole package. As Mm -hmm. a recruiter, he's an alum, he's a successful NFL player, and then his personality of like his receiver recruits when something good happens, love to retweet gifs of Brian Hartline smoking a cigar. Like he's got it. 
So he's got two things in his background that are huge bonuses, alum, NFL success. And then clearly he connects to these guys. Like he's, he is magnetic. So Keenan Bailey or anybody else you would get, you probably aren't replicating the alum and NFL success part of it. But connecting to kids, encouraging them that this is a place where you can succeed, the offense is still going to be here, assuming that Brian Hartline leaves while Ryan Day is still the head coach. Could they keep it up 85%, 75%? When you talk about it, how much do you think – let's just imagine a world – Brian Hartline leaves. Brian Hartline is lights out as the offensive coordinator next year. Mm-hmm. And PJ Fleck leaves for a job and Minnesota's like, you're our guy, Brian Hartline, or whatever. And he leaves. And they promote Keenan Bailey. What percent could they what percent successful would they be with their receiver recruiting compared to where they are now? I'll say sixty-five to seventy percent now but with a very much worry that it really drops off. And I'll use some examples here. One is Ryan Day, if if the Ohio State offense was a body, Day is clearly the brain, clearly, in that metaphor in every single way. Brian Hartline's probably your heart and the blood pumping through the body because, I mean, it, you know, the, the brain's telling the blood heart what to do, but the heart's still got to be elite enough to do it. I think about the defenses Ohio State had. We just did a pod – not too long ago, about the 2016 Michigan game. And I pointed out the fact that look at that defensive coaching staff. Luke Fickle, uh, uh, um, Kerry Combs, Larry Johnson, those are three elite dudes in the prime of their time here at Ohio State and what they're doing here. First rounders, you know, elite level football players at all three spots of the defense. It's amazing what's going on here. Kerry Combs, Luke Fickle leaves a year after that. You bring in Bill Davis. And so that starts to be the train wreck that we all know it is. Kerry Combs leaves the year after that. And we're just getting back to a place. What is this now? Six years later that we feel 100% comfortable about where the cornerback development, actual play on the field and recruiting is. That, that six years it took for them to get back to that. Even with bringing Kerry Combs back in here. Last year was really the first year you felt comfortable about what was going on at linebackers with things you didn't, with people you didn't really know. It had been that long. So you're talking seven years there where you felt really comfortable about linebacker playing, recruiting and development. And that's positions where that the linebackers are positions that really wasn't at the heart of where those defenses were elite, but cornerback was. And we see how that's impacted the defense. Wide receiver play, quarterback play are at the foundational level of why Ohio State football is good right now. So I just don't feel comfortable saying any higher than 60% if you take one of those cogs out of there for why that's so important, thinking that they're just going to be able to keep that up. Because we've seen it at other spots, and it's ended up being one of the reasons why Ohio State had one of the worst defenses in the Big Ten at times. So I don't – it's hard. It's like I don't, I don't disagree with this, and I don't think anybody disagrees with – the value that Brian Hartline brings to Ohio state. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't have it as high. It's interesting. I was just trying to do a little research here quickly. I've often compared Brian Hartline as an assistant to urban Meyer as an assistant. And Brian Hartline's about to be something that urban Meyer never was, which is a coordinator. Mm-hmm. So urban Meyer, when he left Notre Dame, he left uh, Notre Dame after the 2000, 2000 season became the head coach of Bowling Green in 2001. 
they hired Joker Phillips from Minnesota to be the receivers coach at Notre Dame the next year. Now, Joker Phillips has been around forever. Joker Phillips is uh, went on to be the head coach at Kentucky eventually, has been like a a very successful assistant and just has made a, a long career in the coaching business. So Joker Phillips is good. They lose Urban Meyer. They replace him with somebody good. Then they wiped out the whole staff because uh, Bob Davey got fired and they brought in Tyrone Willingham. So Joker Phillips was only there for a year. Then a guy named Trent Miles was the receivers coach at Notre Dame. After that, he lasted a couple years and now he's kind of nothing. He he was the head coach at Indiana State for a while. That was sort of his peak. And then he was the head coach at Georgia State. So he went from the, he was, he's, was a head coach in college football for nine years. The point is, I think they were okay with Joker Phillips, right? And I don't know the ins and outs of Notre Dame, but they didn't get another Urban Meyer. And mm-hmm. then, by the way, like the guy after that, they didn't have another Urban Meyer. Like they don't grow on trees, man. So Brian Hartline doesn't grow on trees. It'll be fascinating if and when it happens because I think it's going to happen at some point. Uh, my guess, I would not bet that Brian Hartline goes from an assistant at Ohio State to the head coach at Ohio State. And if he doesn't do that, then he's going to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. What will happen when he leaves? Um, was this a no-brainer slam dunk? This was the first thing you wrote down. It was. And it's, I mean, the Jeremiah Smith thing of, like, that dude's coming here as long as Brian Hartline is coming. He's, re- he's reached that point as an assistant coach where players are not really coming for anything other than a single human being. And that's a scary place to be for any program. Like Chase Young was there with Larry Johnson. And so – that's generational talent you're talking about that hinges on whether or not one dude is employed at your place. And you can probably apply that to at least two thirds of the guys he's going to get every year, unless they're from Ohio, unless it's Jaden Ballard. Right. Right. That, or because, because it's that dude's coming here. He's from Ohio. even Chris Henry jr. As an Ohio kid, I'm not 100% sold. He's going to come here. If Brian Hartline's not here. That's just a danger. You just, when, when you have assistant coaches who don't grow on trees, that's a dangerous game to play especially when you add in the fact that it's if Ohio State wins a championship, wide receiver play is going to be at worst too on the reasons why, followed with the only thing being above that being quarterback play. It's difficult because this has been what we at Cleveland.com several years ago d- termed an indestructible program. And I have been on record of talking about assistant coaches or middlemen. And so to create a world where it's like the most important, the thing that could – knock you off your perch is losing one assistant. You knew I wasn't going to go there, but it's possible. It's possible. And I think, well, let's talk about him not as a coordinator because he hasn't been that yet. That he is the most important position coach in the country. And I don't know enough. I don't know enough to make this declaration. Buckeye talk. (laughs) But it's possible he's the most important position coach in the history of Ohio State football, right? And Ooh. maybe George Chomp, right? Like as a guy who was sort of like Woody's offensive right hand man for yeah. a long time. I, like that's so. I mean, we're not. I'm not going. We're not going to be able to have an educated but, conversation. Well, no. That. Okay. So, but, if, so if we just speak modern day, then like even with Larry. There's a little bit of a history of defensive linemen who were elite here. He probably just took that to another level. I mean, Joey level. Bosick committed to Mike Rabel. Right. And, you know, it, 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 John Simon was here. You talk about um, 
Cam I'm, Hayward. Uh, Cam Hayward. Like it's, it's Jim Haycock. Jim Haycock Rable. was a very good defensive line coach for a long yeah, time. Yep. So there's been people. I mean, linebackers are history here. So as great as Luke Fickle was here, I mean, linebacker is what Ohio State has done for a long time, long before I was even born. Uh, maybe Kerry, just because I mean, you got that guy from a high school and he's doing this. So maybe you put Kerry on there, but it's just. Brian Hart might, might leave here, and we think about him being the greatest wide receiver coach in college football history in 15 years. Maybe. That, that's far out there, but it's, the way this has started, it's not off-brand to start thinking about what it might look like 15 years from now. And Kerry Combs serves as an example for what could happen because Kerry yeah. Combs left for the NFL, and there was immediate an immediate drop-off in cornerback recruiting and development at Ohio State, mm-hmm. and it hurt them. But when Kerry Combs left, as good as they were at corner, I don't know that corner play was the number one thing that Ohio State was known for then. That was the number Mm -hmm. one thing making Ohio State great back then. It was high. It was really high. But there was also a lot of Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Thomas, you know, working in there as well. So whereas right now, the case of it's the number one thing they do. It's the number one – it's the thing they're best at, and it's the number one reason they win. It's wide receiver play. So you take – if you apply the drop-off after Combs to something that is this much more important to the success of the Buckeyes, I would argue vehemently against an idea like this in almost every other situation. But mm-hmm. in this situation, I think you've made a very good case for what receivers mean to the success of this team and and how specifically that receiver play and standard is tied to this guy. I'd be curious to see Keenan Bailey try to maintain that, but I think you make a very strong point here. All right, that's number one on the list. When we come back, I'll give my first threat to the Buckeyes next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice back with Stephen Means. Number one on my list, and this is why I think I was – a no in like, hey, are there real threats here? Because even my number one thing is not a thing that I think is about to doom Ohio State because I think they figured it out, at least to some degree. And it's NIL. And it's name, image, and likeness and paying for players. And the thing that to me is the threat is an even greater acceleration of it, is a world where every collective south of the Mason-Dixon line Mm. is raking in $75 million a year and saying, we'll pay $15 million for our starting quarterback. And Ohio State, and with all the collectives they have and the emphasis is just, just absolutely cannot compete because the South goes bonkers. Because there's not a limit on it. The NCAA is not able or willing or wanting to rein it in at all. And maybe it shouldn't be reined in. Players should be able to make money but there's not a salary cap. There's not a world where it's public and it's just under the table stuff that's over the table. And kids just can't, as much as it feels like right now in this class, Steven, Ohio State's got it figured out. They just got Justin Scott. They didn't get Caleb Gowns. They didn't get Keon Keeley last year. We've had that discussion. To me, it's, we get to the next round of this and right when we think NIL is settled down, it's that, the schools in the South are like, oh, wait, no, now we, no, we, now we get mm-hmm. it. A hundred million a year. And then, 
And Ryan Day is saying, hey, we need $13 million a year to keep our roster together. And Texas A&M is like, we pay $13 million for one guy. Yep. <laughs> so I, like, I don't actually think that's going to happen, but I don't think it's impossible. And I think it's not – to me, the threat is not that Ohio State's not good at it, but that the teams in the South just accelerate to a level that it's like, okay, this is just a world that there's no chance to compete in. That was number two on my list. And it's partially an inside the program thing and partially an outside the program thing. Because part of this is rooted in, regardless of whether what they can and can't do, last year it was a can't, this year it's a can. But it's also the question of what you're willing to do and willing to not do. Ohio State's not going to play the game. They're not going to do it. They are never going to dive headfirst into the idea. Like they, if if it sits, if they sit down with a kid, and it feels like this is only an nil conversation, they're getting up from the table. Period. That's just, that's the way they've decided to go about things. And I understand that coaches, people involved in the program, technically shouldn't be involved with the collectives. But let's be real here. Nothing's getting done here without Ryan Day's approval, the same way nothing's getting done in Tuscaloosa without Nick Saban's approval and and on down the list of all these college football coaches. He's not sitting in his office oblivious to what's going on here. And so we shouldn't be either, but they're not going to do it. If it's a tiebreaker, that's a conversation they can get into, which is where you think this year's Keon Keeley, this year's Caleb Dowell, this year's Damon Wilson, this year's Mateo Uyunglele ends up at Ohio state, because that's a tiebreaker conversation and not a conversation starter. But you can't guarantee every year there's going to be 25 kids who aren't going to want that to be their starter, especially when you're trying to recruit kids in the SEC, recruit kids out in you know Texas, recruit kids out in California. You can't guarantee that every single year. What if you have a class where only nine kids have that mindset of like, I don't, I'm not going where the place is giving me the most money. What if? Everybody else in the country takes the other route. Or more importantly, as you're alluding to, what if Texas A&M or Miami or Georgia or whatever school is out there offers a kid who isn't thinking that way so much money that you just can't look that kid in the face and tell him you have to turn that down because of what he comes from. So that all, that's not that's not in Ohio State's control, but it is because Either you're going to fully play the game or you're going to keep dipping your toe the way you are. And for right now, it seems like it's okay. But what if five years from now, that's not enough? And it's very clear that nobody's getting in trouble for diving in headfirst. It's basically a salary cap conversation, like a world where there isn't a salary cap. Because if you said, what are the greatest threats to the Cleveland Guardians and their success? The Cleveland Guardians do a lot right. Their attendance is up. They are great mm-hmm. at developing pitchers. They have a great front office. They have a super experienced veteran manager who knows what he's doing. And the greatest threat is that their payroll isn't anywhere close to the Yankees or the Dodgers or the teams on the coasts. And as a result, they're probably got to cha- trade Shane Bieber. Mm-hmm. And they had to trade Francisco Lindor. And so if we get to that point and that what we have in baseball and with no salary cap is the teams on the coast, just they're paying triple and quadruple the amount of salary as the teams in the middle of the country in smaller markets. If, if it reaches a point in college football where with the collectives, with NIL, anybody who's not in the South is a smaller market. Anybody who's not willing to go to the wall and a mile beyond it is a smaller market. Even Ohio State. That Ohio State should be able to fight against this more than anybody else who's not in the South. 
Ohio State's the exception to every rule, but maybe it goes so far that even Ohio State, and then it's just a reminder, Stephen, I was looking at something for the College Football Survivor Show. If you want to listen to the College Football Survivor Show, we're doing conference previews. We did the Big 12 earlier this week, and the SEC preview is coming out on Thursday. And I was looking through Tennessee's recruits the last couple of years to try to get a handle on Tennessee recruiting. I was looking through Florida recruits. And when you live in Ohio State's world, it's a shock to the system. You're like, hey, uh, it's a good program. This is – you can look at a school and, like, their top recruits, like, number 350 in the country. Mm-hmm. And they're a good program. And they're a top 20 school in the recruiting rankings. And they don't have a player in the top 250. And so that – like, that. We're not we're, – it's not that Ohio State – doesn't have a top 20 recruiting class, but it's just, you're not dealing with the top 100 anymore. We're not in a world where you say, oh, Ohio State only got six of the top 100 recruits. It's like, they didn't get any of the top 200 because the top 200 all went to the schools that just are at an absolute next level in paying money. So I think people understand this. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they'll get a handle on it. I think there might be a little regulation on it. And again, you can think it's capitalism. You can think it's a free market, but lots of sports have salary caps. Mm-hmm. Lots of sports have rules about free agency. Yes, America runs on capitalism. Not every single, like, actually, sports no don't. professional sports, sports <laughs> yeah. don't. There are rules. So there's a way where players can make money and you can create a market, but yet there are rules. So this, to me, is a lawless, ruleless, spend as much money as you want. I, I don't think that's where we're going to be five or ten years down the line. But if we were, to me, that was the greatest threat. It was two on your list. What's next on your list? Next on my list is just the Big Ten is enters a golden age of elite national title level football teams. And it's, I don't know if it changes the view of what Ohio State is, but it just lessens their chances of maximizing their potential on a year-to-year basis if this is where Michigan is now if Penn State ever for whatever reason takes that next step if I mean USC is coming and USC finally Lincoln Riley finally realizes that Alex Grinch is not that good of a defensive coordinator so he makes a better hire there and all of a sudden USC is in the conversation uh Michigan State gets it rolling in a real way outside of what the 2021 was with Mel Tucker Luke Fickle at Wisconsin gets that going uh, Nebraska, I don't know. Nebraska is probably never going to be back to what it was in the nineties, but can they be a step under that with Matt rule? It's, it's, it's a, in a world where there's no longer divisions. So we're living in a world where you're probably having the best teams play each other more often. I don't think nine and three for anybody is going to be off the table on a year to year basis. And what if Ohio state has two or three or four straight years where they're not the team paying in the big 10 championship game. And they're not making the playoff because they just happen to be the fifth best team in the Big Ten that year. So this is hard because I spliced this a little bit. When I sent it to Texters, I separated the arrival of USC and UCLA from the Big Ten gets better. So when I asked the tech subscribers, by the way, the tech subscribers had falling behind in NAL as number two on their list. They had Brian Hartline, like that was number six. I had the addition of USC and UCLA as Big Ten schools in a fertile California recruiting area. They voted that number seven. And then I had the Big Ten improving top to bottom with schools like Penn State, Penn uh, Penn State, Wisconsin, Nebraska getting better. They had that number eight. Mm -hmm. So 
you're talking about a golden age across the board. Are you okay with talking about there being just a lot more good teams in the Big Ten and separating that from the arrival of USC and UCLA? Are you okay with making that two separate yeah. things? Yeah, because I think even if the USC-UCLA thing didn't happen, I still would probably have said what I said. So, yeah. So so then this becomes this discussion about, like, what can Penn State be? If they get a quarterback and this is a new era for Penn State, whether it was with James Franklin or the guy after him, what can they be? What can Mel Tucker, who's making almost $10 million a year, what can he establish at Michigan State? What can Mike Loxley do at Maryland? What is Matt Rule going to do at Nebraska? What is Luke Fickle going to do at Wisconsin? Everybody's better. Like, everybody's better. Mm-hmm. It's what everybody, it's like what you want to, sick of this lousy Big Ten. Congratulations, everybody's good. That's interesting to me. It it wasn't, it wasn't on in my top five. And I guess my question is this, Stephen. Is the threat that some of those teams could actually become better programs than Ohio State that five, 10 years from now, Wisconsin's just better at football than Ohio State. Penn State's just better. Nebraska's just better. Or is it that everybody rises up in a way that they can screw up Ohio State season? That they're they're dealing Ohio State. The Ohio State schedule just gets more difficult, and there are more losses in there, even if Ohio State still generally is a better program than Penn State or Wisconsin or Nebraska or Michigan State. How do you view it? Definitely the latter. I, I don't think it. we get to... A lot, I mean, a lot of all 10 things that we list here would have to happen for Ohio State to probably drop off a level as far as their perception at this point. I mean, they've been the most consistent team since 2000. But enough of those slip-ups, if you're having two slip-ups a year just because your schedule worked out that way, and we still view you this way, but it's just you're constantly, you spend three straight years at the outside looking in, in a 12-team playoff world because that year your schedule worked out where you just happened to play the four other elite football teams in the Big Ten. I don't what do you do about that? That's not in your control. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think it's very hard for me to envision a world without something major happening where like Wisconsin's just better at football than Ohio State. Mm-hmm. But I can't envision a world where Wisconsin beats Ohio State more than once every ten years. I can envision a world where Nebraska beats Ohio State more than never. I can envision a world where I just think about like what Michigan State, how Michigan State ruined two Ohio State seasons. Yep. In the last decade, Michigan State, it's like, oh, what happened? Michigan State solely <laughs> ruined Ohio State's 2013 and 2015 seasons. If Michigan State stunk, if Michigan State wasn't on the schedule, if Mark D'Antonio didn't exist, Ohio State would have played for the national title in 2013, and Ohio State would have made the playoff in 2015. Michigan State. That's what you're talking about. Are we? Yep. Did we really think across the board, Michigan State was now a better program than Ohio State, even though they made a couple Rose Bowls, even though Michigan State made the playoff in 2015? Nobody really thought that, but they were good enough to beat Ohio State when they couldn't afford a loss. And all of a sudden, now, 12-team playoff gives you a little more wiggle room. But if there's multiple teams that can do that to you, all of a sudden, what D'Antonio was in that era there are four of those programs. It's Matt Rule, it's Luke Fickle, it's Mel Tucker, it's James Franklin. You've got four D'Antonios waiting to screw up your year. That could be number one. Like if that's where we are, because they were good. No fly yep. zone back then, right? They'd have a good running back every year, good offensive line. They'd run some trick plays. Michigan State wasn't Ohio State. 
they were good. So it's like, hey, congratulations, Big Ten. You're really good now. There's four Michigan States from when D'Antonio was winning double-digit games like six out of eight years. There's four of those now. Good luck, Ohio State. Oh, God. All right, we beat Wisconsin. Oh, you beat Wisconsin? Cool. You get Michigan State next week. Oh, great. That's what you're talking about. And that, I think, you're making all this money, right? You're hiring better coaches. Hey, there's you're on TV all the time. You've got a great TV contract. Guess what? Everybody's better. Okay. Yeah. You and, that, that's that's and, the thing. And all it takes sometimes is I mean we've seen enough Ohio State teams who are probably playoff caliber who had this one fatal flaw. All it takes is that one fatal flaw in a year where enough teams are able to expose it, and all of a sudden a team where we're looking at the schedule at the beginning of the year and going, this team could go twelve and zero. And they're nine and three or eight and four. You're going. What happened? Oh, this little play here. Oh, they beat. But then you can. But then the, all the losses makes are reasonable. Those Michigan State right. losses were reasonable, even if you didn't. Even if you know how State is head over heels, the better program, the better team. It was a reasonable loss in both of those situations. Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Nebraska, with, with who their coaches are right now. It's a reasonable thing to think that they could get to a spot where they're not better than Ohio State, but you're analyzing the game after and going, oh, that makes sense. That's why they lost. We're not talking Purdue. We're yeah. not talking about Rondale Moore. We're not talking about Iowa. We're talking about a good team. So I think you make a good point there. All right. This was second on my list, and I'll pick it here fourth, and it's Michigan. Ohio State's last nine losses to Michigan – Ohio State has been ranked in the top five seven times. The last nine losses to Michigan, Ohio State's ranking going into that game, second, second, fourth, 12th, unranked, fourth, second, second, fifth. So you know what can screw up your year? You said that one, it's Michigan. The Mm -hmm. rise of Michigan, and I'm not talking about Michigan beating Ohio State 10 times in a row, but I'm talking about this being a 50-50 game. And we're back to the 10-year war. And how many times? So all of a sudden... You, it makes it – your room for error is greatly diminished because you have a coin flip game at the end of the regular season. And the coin flip game, even in a world where there's not going to be divisions, it still could be to get in the Big Ten title game where it's like, okay, USC's in or Penn State's in, and then the winner of Ohio State-Michigan is going to be in also. But if mm-hmm. you lose that game, now maybe the Big Ten will get three teams in the playoff. I think a lot of years they will, but also Wisconsin's pretty good – and all of a sudden, losing the Michigan game, if it's your second loss, I've said I think Ohio State's in with two losses every year of the 12-team playoff, and I think they yeah. might get in with three sometimes. But I still don't think, like, a Michigan loss, I still don't think is a shrug. And it might be when we're talking about a threat to Ohio State, it's like, oh, they lost to Michigan. Now they had to go on the road in the first round. They made it, but they were a 10 seed, and they had to go to Tennessee on the road mm-hmm. in round one, and they lost. And it's, if they had beaten Michigan, they would have made the Big Ten title game. They could have won the Big Ten, and they would have been a two seed. So you still make the playoff, but now if you lose to Michigan, you're a 10 seed instead of a two, and it greatly diminishes your chances of winning a national title. And if that happens enough times, we'd be at a place where it's like, well, yeah, they make the playoff, but my gosh, they're, they're barely squeaking in, and they're losing in the first round all the time, and it's because the Michigan game is tripping them up a lot. So... This, this I think, could happen. I think we could get to a 50-50 game in this series. 
where over the next 10 years, it's 5-5. Five, five. I, I think that's possible. I think it might be 5-5 five, five and still not ruin Ohio State's place. I, so I think like my thing might come true, but it won't be as much of a threat as I'm making it out to be. Because if it's your only loss and then you're still a six seed, then you're fine, whatever, right? There's mm-hmm. going to be some wiggle room. You might get a rematch in the Big Ten title game and you can try to go beat him again there. But it's a reminder after two decades of Ohio State whooping Michigan's butt. It's like, oh, you know, it's a rivalry. You're not that worried about it. When Michigan's good, they screw up a good Ohio State seasons by beating Ohio State. Seven of the last nine times they beat Ohio State, Ohio State was a top five team. Ohio, it's not that Ohio State's bad. It's that Ohio State's good and Michigan beats them anyway. So I had it number two on my list. We're drafting it four here. Where did you have a Michigan conversation? It was four on my list, and it's the 2022 formula where Ohio State's a playoff team. They had to play the national championship game in the semifinal because they lost to Michigan. If we're being honest here, the national championship game was played in Atlanta, and that's a Ryan Day would have two national championship game appearances if he beats Michigan. And you apply that logic, you just mapped it out. Now it, you're making your your road to a national championship game in the playoff world that much harder, which means you're opening yourself up to more slip-ups. What if you have to go to Tennessee? What if you have to go to Bama? Because Bama's rated high and you're not rated high. What if you have to go to, I don't know if you, well, maybe you'd go to USC or maybe you have to go to Texas. Maybe you have to go to Florida State. Maybe you have to go to Georgia. It's just you're putting yourself in these situations to make life harder for yourself. And I don't know. Maybe you come out of that and win some national championships anyway. I mean, you did it in 14, but that's, do you really want to live in a world where fans have to be ticked off and frustrated and depressed for what would be three weeks now before the playoff starts? And they have to be reminded every playoff series that, Hey, Ohio state's good again, even if they keep losing to Michigan. And I think having threats are, is reasonable. Like everybody should be threatened. It's like, just cause you're yeah. good doesn't mean you don't have a chance of losing. So this just might be the new norm. And it's a, it's a threat that exists, but it's not the way that Ohio State fans or the program has had to think for the past two decades. Because, yes, you always respected Michigan. You always knew anything could happen in a rivalry game. Go back to 2013. Go back to 2016. Go back to the games when Michigan was right there when they maybe didn't have a right to be. But you knew you had the better team. This, to, this is more about, like, I don't know, Ohio State's good, but maybe Michigan's better, which might be the case this year. So this is just like good Michigan just makes it harder. Which is number five. What's next for you, Stephen? So this one is about quarterback play a little bit. Because I think the quarterback, not even play, just quarterback recruiting. I think part of the reason the quarterback recruiting has been so focused on some of these schools is the lack of opportunity for playoff teams. So, I mean, all the good quarterbacks go to playoff teams for the most part. They go to USC. They go to Alabama. Now they're going to Georgia. They go to Clemson when there's a cultural fit there, and now they're going to Texas. In a world where there's 12 teams making the playoff, does that in some way rearrange a kid's thinking about where it's possible? Because Aaron Nolan has to come up from Georgia. C.J. Stroud had to come from California. Uh, Quinn Uris had to come from Texas. Uh, 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 Kyle McCord had to come from Philly, so that's a little different. It's last in Georgia, so that's a different conversation. But what if just more of these quarterbacks stay home? Because they can. And so, yes, Ryan Day is great at developing quarterbacks, but it also helps to develop a quarterback who's a five-star or a top 50 recruit. I don't know. I'm not so, – I don't know if Lincoln King Holtz ever starts a game here yet. But is Lincoln – but we could reach a point where that 2023 recruiting class 
does that become a norm? Does it ever? And that's on the table in a world where more of these quarterbacks feel like, I don't have to go to the Midwest to make the playoff. By the way, the Texters had the continued rise and success of Michigan, number three. So they Mm. had falling behind in NIL, number two, the rise of Michigan, number three. I think this is a really interesting category that you didn't bring that you bring up. I didn't have something like this that I sent out to the texters. I think it's a really interesting way to think about it, though, because I did have something else about the 12 team playoff. But I do think it's one of these things where if you believe the 12 team playoff gives more schools opportunity and makes more schools attractive and evens the playing field a little get it pulls down the top. So if Mm. you're at the top, you don't want to even level the playing field. You want to stay on the tower. It's like, oh, so a world where because the point you're kind of making is there's probably not enough quarterbacks in Ohio Mm -hmm. for them to be like, well, who's Ohio State's quarterback? Well, our Ohio State's quarterback every year is going to be the best high school quarterback in Ohio and Indiana. We'll just take the best one, and that's the guy. Now, you know, you could take in Drew Aller. Okay. Tavian St. Clair. Okay. Like, I'm not saying it would never happen, right? Mm-hmm. But they've also had a whole bunch of quarterbacks lately who are not from Ohio. And if all of a sudden the the playing field gets leveled to the point that there's like 30, because people are like, oh, what if there's like a top 30? What if all of the top 30 is kind of the same? So all the Texas kids stay in Texas and the Georgia kids stay in Georgia and the California kids stay in California and the and the Philadelphia kids go to Penn State and the Florida kids stay in Florida. And it just becomes more regional in recruiting because what Ohio state does successfully is recruit regionally at the spots where you can recruit regionally and lock down those guys in your state. But they've always had to go for skill guys. It's just the way it's been. They've always had to go outside the boundaries to get some receivers. And lately it's been to get some quarterbacks. Listen, Troy Smith's from Ohio, Rex Kearns from Ohio, Braxton Miller's from Ohio. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but man, if you're leaning on that every year and then hoping to pull in a South Dakota kid every now and then, you're not going to be who you are now. Joe Burrow's from Ohio. Okay, that would have worked out, right? But they yeah. <laughs> built this. They've built this by going national. They've built this by Ryan Day choosing a quarterback, not recruiting a quarterback. He's picking who he wants. And all of a sudden, if the top 15 quarterbacks in the country, none of them are from the Midwest, and none of them feel like they have to go to Ohio State, we've created the world that you're talking about. And – there have been some very good Ohio quarterbacks who have come to Ohio State. It's not the norm because Troy, nobody expected Troy Smith to be that. He was, a, he was like a three-star recruit or a low-level four-star recruit. That Justin Zwick was in his class. He was supposed to be that dude, and he ended up not being as a five-star quarterback from Ohio. Braxton Miller was a five-star quarterback who ended up being a five-star talent, even if they didn't necessarily win national championships. Cool. Cardell Jones – Struck lightning in a bottle for a month and a half. He was not the plan at all. Joe Burrow had to go to the South to get an opportunity while also being paired with two dudes who might be two of the five best wide receivers in the world right now. Like a lot had to go right for Joe Burrow to turn into that. So it's even with the Tavian St. Clair, I do think there's some five-star potential there, but we have to remember he doesn't get to develop that five-star potential the same way that some kid in Texas or some kid in California does who can play football year round. He can't play seven on seven. So there's going to be a learning curve when he gets here, even if there's boatloads of talent to go to. And maybe, maybe we underestimated that with Kyle McCord too. Cause I don't, to my knowledge, I don't think Philadelphia, Pennsylvania can play seven on seven either. That's most of these Midwest places. So there's going to have to be some patience with some of that. 
And you can't always be patient at that position. There's not, and pl- I'll add this extra caveat. I don't, who's historically the best quarterback school in college football? Because I don't know if anybody's ever just held on to that run for a decade. Mm. You have moments like USC with Carson Palmer, Matt Lenard, like they Teams have had moments. Alabama's having a moment right now. But we'll see. We're not really sure after Bryce Young. After you've had Tua, uh, uh, Mac Jones, and Bryce Young, and I'll throw uh, uh, Jalen Hurts in that as well because he played some national championships. Do we think that keeps going? Lincoln Riley's first shot, first dart at it with a guy he actually had to recruit and develop didn't work. It's this is not it's not normal to have elite quarterback play for a decade. And so while Ohio State's off to a good start, you're always one bad decision away or one bad recruiting class away from that journey of being elite quarterback school from falling off the table. Listen, the Miami Hurricanes had awesome quarterback play for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Jim Kelly, Vinny Testaverde, Bernie Kosar, yep. uh, uh, Gino Toretta won a Heisman there. Like they, yep. and like, we don't talk about that now. That's not what Miami football is. So like yep. to your point that like you maybe don't have a 40 year run of great quarterback play. It's hard. Man. Is, is, is interesting. And elite quarterbacks quarter, uh, Elite quarterbacks are hard. It, there's there's at least two or three or four or five star quarterbacks every year. All of those don't pan out. There's probably maybe two quarterbacks per class that pan out. There's I, I follow this account on Twitter who's always re, like showing off classes from the and they've been doing this run of the top quarterbacks in like the 2014 class, the top 20 quarterbacks in the 2015 class, and it's there's so many people listed before Joe Burrow. I have no idea what happened with them. Joe Burrow's clearly yeah. the best one now. He's so low down that list. And so quarterback evaluation, quarterback development, that's hard, man. So the fact that they've hit now three in a row at Ohio State, that's something to applaud. But it also doesn't mean the next three are going to be just as good. All right, number six on the list. This was number three for me. And it's a little bit tied to the NIL stuff, but it's just the demographic and population shifts to the South just continue to make it the South rules. And it's even without NIL, that's where all the players are. That's where more of the talent is not all of the talent, but that a trend that has been taking place for decades, you know, used to be a time that the best talent you could find in high school football was in Western Pennsylvania. That's not the case anymore. And it just gets amplified and it just gets harder and harder and harder. So it's tied into NIL. It's it's another way to say the power in the South consolidates even more. But to me, I, I'm leaning a little bit on things, Stephen, that are like completely out of the control mm-hmm. of Ohio State. You can't move the campus South. And as much, you know, there's still people talk about expansion and realignment and where might the Big Ten go next? And what if the Big Ten went into Florida? You know, it got to both coasts. Does it want to get South now? You still can't move Columbus to Louisiana. So it it just might gradually get more and more difficult. We know that Ohio State is going and getting players out of those states, but it's and it's a little bit tied to the thing you're talking about like in the 12 team playoff world, more teams mm-hmm. have chances, it's e- more kids can stay home. Kids don't want to leave to go a plane flight away. And so this it's very this one for me is very broad. It's not very specific. It's just like the south keeps getting even better. This was fourth on the list. The way I phrased it was population and recruiting edges in the South make it almost impossible for any Northern team to win a title. 
So um, <laughs> we have now done number two, number three, number four, number six, and number eight on the lists of what I sent to the tech subscribers. That means there's still a few out there. Steven, we'll go to number seven. What's next for you? So this one was on the list you sent to the texters. And I think it's going where it should go, but it also has a chance to be very underrated. And it's the fact that he's entering year five here. And if this were Urban Meyer, he's got two years left after this year. Jim Trestle, we're halfway through the Trestle era. Um, I think uh, Nick Saban might be the last 20-plus year head coach we see in college football because that's just not where it goes. And so I didn't frame it the way you sent it to the textures, but I framed it as – Brian Day just gets sick of college football and all everything that it's become. And since I'm going to the league, I'm, I'm, I'm done here. I'm going to the league and the next hire is bad. Michigan found out what one bad hire can do. And then they did somehow found a way to do it, do it again. But one bad hire can set your program back. So this was number one for the texters. Ryan Day leaving and a misfire on the next head coach hire was number one. It was slightly ahead of NIL, but they were both significantly ahead of anybody else. And so if people have not um, read our series on Indestructible Ohio State, which is probably like six years old now, it's pretty old now. Uh, I would direct you to it. I'm trying to Google it and find it. It's from August 2016. Are the Ohio State Buckeyes the most indestructible team in American sports? And so we did reporting on that. We asked people about that. And the consensus on that, Stephen, when you talk to people was everybody's one bad hire away. Mm -hmm. And you can ask Alabama and you can ask Texas. And as you mentioned, you can ask Michigan. And it's just that Ohio State hasn't had that. They haven't. Even like the Coop. You think Coop, it's like, Coop's a Hall of Famer, man. Yep. Coop is Orlando Pace and Terry Glenn and Joe Germain and mm-hmm. Antoine Winfield, and Coop is talent all over the place. That was not a complete misfire. Coop is not Rich Rod, man. Coop mm-hmm. is not Mike Shula. Like, Coop is not Charlie Strong. Like, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about losing records. We're talking about, man, I can't believe Ohio State went four and eight. That's what we're talking about. And it makes, there are people whose heads are exploding right now, Stephen, because you can't fathom it. Because even Earl, old nine and three Earl, man, Earl should have won the national title in year one. Like Earl knew what he was doing, yeah. right? He didn't, like he didn't succeed. He didn't have losing records. Go find everybody else. Willie Taggart. At Florida State, everybody else hits those patches where it's not that you're not as good as you think you should be. It's that you're bad. Yeah, Ohio State hasn't been bad. They haven't been bad since Woody got here. So like that world, and I guess the question is, I guess on for the most part, I agree with the idea of everybody's one bad hire away, but I don't 100% agree with it. There's a part of me that wonders, man, how bad would the hire have to be for Ohio State to go four and eight? Like it, it would have to be absolute incompetence, Stephen, because there's still so much in place for Ohio State to succeed. What do you th- do? You think it would be fairly easy to make a really bad hire, or do you think it would have to be a pretty 
colossal mistake that would almost be difficult to make for Ohio State to fall off a cliff with the guy who succeeds Ryan Day. I think if you don't catch it, it's almost like, you know, getting a cold. If you catch it early, it might not be that bad. But if you, you know, mess around with it and don't take your medicine and don't get the sleep you need and the rest you need, then all of a sudden you've got a much bigger issue on your hand that might develop into something worse. So I'll take Michigan. Brady Hope went 11-2 and two his first year. That's not a bad hire. You know, that's okay. We got something here. He just needs to get it rolling. And then he went eight and five, seven and six, five and seven. Rich Rodriguez, year one, three and nine. That's all alarms probably should have gone off right there that, hey, this might get uglier. But you're under that idea of you can't give a coach just one year. You got to give him a chance to get his guys in there. Five and seven, seven and six. It never really got to a level where it should have gotten. If you nip it in the butt early, it doesn't have to be a bad hire. Because I, I don't think Luke Fickle would have been a bad hire. I think he was just in a bad circumstance. I also just don't think he was ready to take that job. They nipped it in the bud after one year, along with the fact that a Hall of Fame coach just happened to be sitting there right there. So it's a situation where Ryan Day leaves, they hire Bob Thomas, and in year one, regardless of what the record is, there's enough red flags that tell you, hey, this guy is probably not going to work out. But instead of fixing it, you let him stick around for three or four years. And then now you're in a now you're in a hole that to Jim Harbaugh's point, you gotta spend the first four years here trying to clean up. Which so I, I have a theory. I think for if you make a bad hire for every year you let that bad hire stay, that's two years that it takes to fix that bad hire. Mm. And that Jim Jim Harbaugh, it took him four or five years to finally get to a point where not only is Michigan consistently good, but they could realistically beat Ohio State on a day where Ohio State's also pretty good. And the thing that can really happen, too, is that the first bad hire, even if you nip it in the bud, I think you make a good point about that, can lead to the next bad hire. Yep. Because Michigan, they go get Rich Rod, who's the West Virginia head coach. Like, that's a big program. He's winning a lot at West Virginia, but he's a bad cultural fit. So then when they're replacing him, they're going all cultural fit. And you wind up hiring a guy who's a Michigan man in Brady Hoke but who really built most of his reputation as the head coach at Ball State. Yep. And then he was at San Diego State for two years. So if you said in a vacuum, hey, Michigan hired the San Diego State head coach, you'd be like, what? And it's like, yeah, well, he was an assistant at Michigan before. And it's like, oh, good, he was an assistant at Michigan because like Rich Rod, he didn't fit in here. So they were so desperate to get somebody who fit in that they got somebody who couldn't handle it, who couldn't handle a job that big. They hired the San Diego. He was at Ball State three years before he was at Michigan. And I know the Mac creates good coaches, but still, come on, man. So like that, like one bad thing leads to another. And then all of a sudden, if Jim Harbaugh's not there, who knows Michigan where Michigan yep. would be right now? So that's the danger. I just, I think what it would take, and this is getting very specific to this circumstance, is if Ryan Day stays through the end of Gene Smith's tenure, Whatever that means, whether that means Gene Smith retires in two years and Ryan Day leaves in four, whether that means Gene Smith retires in seven years and Ryan Day leaves in 11. But a relatively new athletic director wants to make a name for him or herself and is like, oh, conventional wisdom might tell you this, but I got the guy for you. And it's like, oh, my God. 
Like there's some things here. I'll be curious how the Gene Smith and Ryan Day tenures match up. Yeah. Because and then frankly, you could make a bad AD hire, which leads to a bad head football coach hire. Mm-hmm. Now there should be a raft of qualified and experienced athletic director candidates, whether it's Martin Jarmond or Pat Chun or anybody else. There's a million people out there on Gene Smith's tree, or you could just go get somebody with no Ohio State ties who's really good at this job. So again, I don't think they'll hire a bad AD, and I don't think they'll hire a bad football coach, but I do think actually, Stephen, on the damage that could be done, maybe this should be number one. We're talking about it here at number seven, but I think it's because we don't really think it's going to happen because too many good coaches and too many good administrators want to work at Ohio State. It's a great place to work. But if they get it wrong, holy moly. I think that specific way you put it out is probably the only way this happens because let's just take the Ryan Day hire for a second. Probably was not the safest hire if we're being Ooh. honest here. That was a very that was a Gene Flex. Yeah, that a was flex. a Gene, but but Gene Smith had hired enough people, whether it was regardless of sport, he's hired enough quality people that he had built in that benefit of the doubt of he must see something because he's been doing this for a while. You know? That, that, so if Gene Smith doesn't have that resume of I make good hires at Ohio State in the athletic program, then we're looking at the Ryan Day hire not as, oh, this is the guy that he spent two years under Urban Meyer ready to take over the job and take Ohio State into the new era. We're looking at it as Gene Smith, what are you doing? Hiring this inexperienced nine and three Doug would have been six and six Doug very quickly. There. <laughs> like, let's just be real here. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, for real. So if they do, I don't think it should be outside. I do think it needs to be from the Gene Smith tree. Some things just, you know, there's Gene Smith's got a lot of a, a large tree, a lot of branches, but go pick somebody off of that who's proven themselves elsewhere and bring them back in here. If that guy tries to hire Ryan Day, we should be on alert of something's not right here because there's no reason for us to believe that this Ryan Day is going to work out just because it worked out last time. Yeah, it's um, it's crazy. It's it's crazy that Gene Gene took a swing there. And he, another name again. I think there's three people that you keep in mind with that Gene Smith thing is Martin John Marnd at UCLA, Pat Chun at Washington State, and then Heather Like at Pitt. Yeah. has been uh, an athletic director for a decade. She went from Ohio State. She was assistant AD for 15 years at Ohio State and then went to Eastern Michigan, which is where Gene made his bones in 2013 and then has been at Pitt since 2017. So those are probably the three leading candidates. But again, Gene has a, a, a very long and distinguished list of people. But you, if you get caught, right, if you get caught on some timing and all of a sudden, here you go. All right, that's seven threats that we've done so far. We'll wrap up our final ones next on Buckeye Talk. So this is my next one that we'll put at number eight. And this is why I wanted to splice USC and UCLA. Because what if you look up in five or 10 years and you're like, why did we let the California schools in? They're in California. There are so many good players there. They have a beach there. They have movie stars there. How are we supposed to beat that? That we get back to the world where Snoop Dogg and Will Ferrell are hanging out at practice Mm. and Luke Ferrell and Matt Rule and Ryan Day are like, what did we do? How do we get Will Ferrell and Snoop Dogg to come to practice? Because they invited, so Lincoln Riley USC is like, okay, we think this is going to be good. 
Can you imagine if Pete Carroll USC was what what was oh, coming yes. to the Big Ten? People would be freaking out. It's like, hey, uh, hey, uh, who's that new school coming to the Big Ten? It's like, oh, did you hear? They're the greatest college football team of all time, which is yeah. what people thought USC was going to be in 2005. So if they get back to that with Lincoln Riley or somebody else, and by the way, what if UCLA gets it going? And from a cable subscriptions, demographic, whatever, business thing, it's great. And the football coaches are all like, how are we supposed to beat Southern California? And the answer is, you're not. Congratulations on trying to be the second best team in the Big Ten because USC is going to be number one. That would be a world that Ohio State has never lived in. Michigan's good. Penn State's good. Has there ever been a place in the Big Ten that's cooler? Yeah, there it is. Ohio State and Columbus. (laughs) I try to act like Minneapolis is cool. I'm like, oh, man, Minneapolis. People should want to. It's five degrees in Minneapolis in the winter. You can be like New York City. It's like it's Piscataway. Yeah. USC is literally in Los Angeles. So the football coaches in five years might think to themselves, this is the worst thing we've ever done. USC is by far the best team in the conference, and UCLA is probably second. Congratulations to everybody in the actual Midwest trying to pick up the scraps. I don't think it's going to happen, but let's go back to Pete Carroll, USC, and imagine what it looks like. When you decided to split them up, the first thing I just wrote in my notes was the California cool takeover. So when you said the word cool, when's the last time Ohio State wasn't the coolest thing in the Big Ten? Yes. Like, I just, it's, like, I, I'm thinking it makes, it's, it's the CJ Stroud. You know who CJ Stroud grew up playing football for? Snoop Dogg. So imagine if USC was good and in the Big Ten, you want to know where CJ Stroud would have been? A Trojan. With yeah. Snoop Dogg. And it's, it's, we, okay, Ohio State has LeBron James. He's not here enough. You know where he lives right now? Los Angeles. You know where his, you know where his child goes right now? <laughs> So there's something to that, man. We're talking about teenagers. There's nothing better than just being cool. If you're good, that's great. If you're cool, all right. If you're good and you're cool, you are an era that they make a 30 for 30 about 25 years from now. That's that's all it takes. So I don't for it doesn't mean Ohio State won't be competitive. It's just. There's a word, world where USC easily becomes the face of the Big Ten just because they're cooler. Yeah. And because they got be all the yeah. – Yeah. And just because – and it's like, oh, and it's right in that window at the beginning of the season where, you know, NBA season hasn't started yet, so you're not courtside it's, uh, at Crypto Staples Center, man. Don't go back to that name. You know, the Dodgers aren't really in the playoffs that year, so whatever. I mean, there's two teams in L.A. with the NFL, so that's always a thing, but – it's Saturday night on NBC. It's a big recruiting weekend, and Ohio State's in town. And USC's got every A-list celebrity up in a box somewhere and on the field before the game. And I'm a five-star quarterback, and I'm like, is that Michael B. Jordan? Oh, yeah. I'm coming here to play in front of that. Denzel Washington's here? Ohio State can't compete with that. I'm, they did it. They had a big celebrity weekend and it was LeBron James, Jason Tatum, Andre Iguodala, and Evan Turner. That's not going to get it done when you've got A-list celebrities at USC games. So Ohio State's not going to USC for a while. They don't yeah. play. They play at UCLA in 2024. USC comes to Columbus in 2025. I was trying to envision a world, though, if, if 
Bronny James, LeBron's son, who is going to play basketball at USC, stays in school for a while. And you see LeBron on the sideline at an Ohio State-USC game in a USC hat. And everybody would be like, hey, LeBron, I thought you liked Ohio State. They'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a Trojan man. What what do you mean? I I live in LA now. What do you so like that world? So now, do I actually think it's a little more likely that USC gets stretched being in a Midwest conference and USC's good, but Mm -hmm. maybe the Big Ten absorbs more from USC rather than USC stomping the Big Ten, and that the Big Ten Midwestern programs are fine and USC is a nice addition? Yeah, I mean, I I actually I don't think USC is going to completely take over. Big Ten football. But I think it's good enough to be number eight on the threat list because guess what? Never been to, I haven't experienced it before. So it's new. That's part of it too. It's like there's some things that have happened in the course of the Big Ten, Stephen, whether it's the past 10 years, 20, 50, 100. It's like, well, we know that's not going to happen. It's never happened before. This is totally new. So you're trying to account for what two Southern California schools mean, but we just can't know for sure. I, one more thing about this before we move on. I do think this is one where you probably live on one of the two hyperbolic ends of what it means for USC because it can very much go this way. I mean, Jim Harbaugh had the Migos and all types of rappers when he first got to Michigan. It's just, it's Ann Arbor. So no, I'm not coming back to Ann Arbor every weekend, Jim, to come watch your team play football in the cold. But it can go that way, but it can also, to the point of stretching things, what if you're a five-star kid from California and yes, you can stay home and still play in the Big Ten, but most of your games are still coming to the Midwest and that's a lot of money for yep. you want your family to come see you when instead the USC UCLA game can be a chance for you to just come home, you know, cause yeah. it, 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 that's, that's, it, it, it can go either way where you, you're still losing kids who just see the oh, UCLA USC's here. So that means every year, regardless of who, which one we play, there's a chance we're going to get a chance to go home to play in LA every week. And I can have all of my family come to this one big event while other than that, it's probably just my parents and my siblings coming. My daughter goes to Northwestern and they have a music festival every spring. And the headliner at the music festival was Offset from Migos this oh. spring. And so it's just more proof that the Big Ten in the Midwest can draw Migos. Mm. So take that, USC. My daughter was so excited that Offset showed up. And then he went to like a party in Chicago. He didn't stay at campus and like hang out with Northwestern students, yeah. but he was there for like 45 minutes. Okay. Number nine. This is the last one from your list. Do you have any left? I do. Um, and uh, I didn't look at your list that you sent to the Texers before I did this. Cause I didn't want it to skew my stuff. I actually just wanted to make my list and then look at it and go, Oh, okay. So we're all on the same page here. It's what if this is just as good as the defense ever gets again, you know, where it's, it's a really good defense until they play good teams. So that it's that's not quite Lincoln Riley level with Alex Grinch where every week they're giving up 35 plus points. But it's you get to the Penn State game, you get to the USC game, you get to the UCLA game, you get to the Michigan game and the playoff games and everything we thought defense was good at, all of a sudden we realize, oh, they're not actually that good. And because of that, there's always a ceiling on how far this offense can take it. I think this would have been higher before the Jim Knowles. Yeah. Higher by Ohio State and maybe even like after the Michigan game last year. I this is the way I phrased it. Internal defensive issues if they don't get fixed, that that would be a threat. That was number 5 on the list. I think this is correct here. It's what I would have had next for me. 
I don't think this is going to happen. I think that they'll be better in year two. They spent $2 million to get the best defensive coordinator they could find. But the issue would be is that they've become such an offensive program that they're like an old Big 12 school, that they lose their defensive identity. And as a result, you wind up being Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma, where you're good, and then you get to the playoff and you give up 50 and you're dead. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ah, congratulations. Oh, High State made the playoff. Well, they're going to give up 50 and lose because they can't stop anybody. So, you know, they almost beat Georgia, but they didn't beat Georgia because they couldn't stop Stetson Bennett and Todd Monken at the end of the game, right? That mm-hmm. game up game wasn't 24-21, and I don't think they played, like, terrible defense down-to-down in that game. The game – the sport of college football is just high-scoring now. But if you went down the list of, like, what they did wrong last year, defensive breakdowns against good teams is what killed them. So some kind of version of the defense remains not good enough, whether that's because of hires, whether that's because of recruiting, whether that's because of scheme – whether that's because of you lost your identity, you Mm -hmm. lost the silver bullet identity in the pursuit of being a quarterback and receiver school. I don't think that's what's going to happen. But we have examples, Stephen, of what it looks like. You made an Alex Grinch joke earlier on this podcast. Mm -hmm. He's the defensive coordinator at USC. Lincoln Riley cannot shake this. And whenever we have conversations and Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley get compared a lot and they're only going to get compared more once USC gets in the Big Ten. The thing that I always say that I think is a plus for Ryan Day is that his defensives have not been as bad as Lincoln Riley's defenses. And when when you're a head coach, it's not just can you recruit quarterbacks and scheme it up. It's a head coach conversation. And it has been the Achilles heel for Lincoln Riley. It's held him back. It's why Mm -hmm. Oklahoma does not have a title. Ryan Day doesn't have a title either, but he made a national championship game. He's three of four, and he's had a good defense. Now, it was in year one with a lot of guys that Urban Meyer left him. But at least we kind of know what it looks like, and he wants to get back to that. I do think maybe Ryan Day cares more about defense than Lincoln Riley does. And I think Lincoln Riley's going to have to make a change at the end of this year. I just don't think USA. I think the defense is going to hold USC back again. But that, to me, is what this threat discussion is. That it's it's not that you're bad, it's that the defense keeps you from winning at all because it's never good enough. And if you want to know what it looks like, look at Lincoln Riley. But I always say that's a plus right now for Ryan Day because I don't think he's Lincoln Riley. But he has to make sure that he doesn't turn into that. And I don't think the defense ever gets that bad because he would never hire Alex Grinch. In fact, he sent him on his way when he made his first hires. But it's the it's just it's the story, right? Every year he was at Oklahoma, they were getting the playoffs, and it's like, dude, you're not going to do anything here because we, we know how this is going to go every single year. I'll, it goes, and, and so Ohio State might have a better defense than any defense that Oklahoma ever put on the table, but it doesn't mean the story won't be the same. That every year you get in the playoffs and you're giving up 35 plus, and you're putting that type of pressure on your offense to keep scoring every single time, and it doesn't. So the story might be the exact same. Yeah, Ohio State's defense is good. Ohio State's a good football team until they have to play somebody with a pulse. And then all of a sudden they're in shootouts and they can't win those. So there's only one other thing that I had on the list. And we'll make it our number 10. I did have – I I got some questions from – I got some answers from texters. Um, this, This is one – this is smart. I almost put this on the list and I didn't. 
and I think it's worth talking about for a little bit, Stephen. This is from the 603. I think of the options for a threat, one that wasn't mentioned is the threat of sanctions or something from the NCAA that hurts the team. Similar mm. what happened with tattoos and Jim Trestle. Now, I'm not aware of anything like that happening, but we were also not aware of the previous mentioned issue. That is always a concern of mine, trouble with the NCAA. I think that's a really smart thing. I almost put it on the list, but I also kind of wonder in a world where the NCAA is is as ineffectual as it is, is trying to figure out NIL and our players going to be employees and there's a million lawsuits and California's passing laws and what's the future of the sport. It doesn't feel like they're in the business of this as much as they were. But the fact that you look at Maurice Claret, you look at which which leaked into Troy Smith, you look at Terrell Pryor and everything that happened that led to the resignation of Jim Trestle. You look at Zach Smith and Urban Meyer, which wasn't exactly NCAA stuff, but was mm-hmm. off-field stuff that led indirectly, but sort of was associated with the departure of a coach. Urban Meyer got suspended out of it. Gene Smith got suspended out of it. Do we have to have a discussion about like something they do off the field that they get in trouble for, and that's what the thing is? I think the Texers at least smart to mention it. Definitely considered it, and I ran down the list of all the stuff they've gotten into trouble for, and the, even the Zach Smith Urban Meyer thing that was more of a. It was that's a different type of. I mean, that's some like legal stuff, right? That's more real yeah, world, that's real life stuff. Yeah, yeah. so I can't even. I, I didn't even include that one. Most of the stuff that Ohio State, at least in my time on the serve, most of the stuff that Ohio State has gotten in trouble for and it's gotten sanctioned for is no longer illegal, right? Because even the tattoo gate stuff, there's, yeah. a, in a, there's a way to NIL that up. Troy Smith, there's a way to NIL that up. Maurice Claret, before the weird real-life stuff, there's a way to NIL that up. Even Chase Young, 2019. That's what I, I mean, he didn't just have the money to be able to pay for it himself because he probably would have been a millionaire in college because of NIL. So that's, that's all stuff that I think NIL saves them from. So now it's you go to real life off the field stuff. I mean, is Hartline going to get a? He, if I don't, we don't even know if Hartline's going to get suspended for what he did on the, his own home in the privacy of his right. own home. So that's that's as far as I go in terms of stuff that would get the attention in a negative way, just because of how some of the rules have changed. So that's why I left it off. I don't I don't know what that sanction look like looks like that a team gets sanctioned for the stuff that Ohio State has been sanctioned for over the past 25 years. I mean, 10 years ago, this is probably number one. Oh, yeah. Like in the, in the immediate aftermath of yeah, the yeah, resignation yeah. of Jim Tressel and the suspension of Terrell Pryor and everybody else, this is at the time. It's like, it's the, I, people would think it's the only thing. It's like, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? What, Michigan's going to get good? What are we going to do? Add USC to the Big Ten? What are we going to do? Start paying players? It's like yeah. all this stuff that feels very real now. The thing that used to be real was they might get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not having a negative opinion of Ohio State. It's just looking at history. They got in trouble sometimes, and there were very real effects of that. So I I think the world has changed, and it's why you and I didn't have it on our list. But I think it was worth a discussion. I'm I'm glad I'm glad a texture brought it up. From the 419, the rise of Michigan has been extremely over exaggerated. I I just don't know that I can agree with that. I don't like, I don't know what to say about the idea that if Michigan, like Michigan is good. And if Michigan wasn't good, 
Ohio State might have won the national title last year, and they might have made the playoff the year before, and I think Michigan's going to be good again. So we've had that kind of this conversation. I'm just still a little bit surprised, Stephen, when people like think that we're exaggerating that Michigan's good and it could have an effect on Ohio State. I mean, they won back-to-back Pit 10 championships and got to the playoff two years in a row because they beat Ohio State. I guess if you think that – it's not a blip anymore. You did it two years in a row, and you beat them pretty good. But it's just this era of players and – Whoever the quarterback is after J.J. McCarthy, I don't think Jaden Davis starts as a true freshman, so it'll be somebody else probably. If you fall right back off a cliff with the quarterback play, if Donovan Edwards leaves and Blake Quorum leaves and all of a sudden your running back play with guys like Jordan Marshall isn't as good, you know, maybe if you just think it's this era that Michigan's hit this two-year window where they just happen to be very, very good at attacking the very things Ohio State can't do well, then okay, I can see that, but I – I don't think that's the case here where I'm not there yet where it's a blip of the, this is a little window. I think Michigan's just a good football program. Now I would add to the choice that the fan base could become so toxic that quality staff will steer clear. Kirk Herbstreet moved away to escape some of them. That's from the four Oh seven. I don't know how much of a threat this is currently with recent recruits and guys we have right now, but how much of an impact would it have on our offense? If we were to lose Brian Hartline and or Ryan day it's from the six one four, we talked about that. Doug, I would have added the OHSAA archaic stance against spring football, which you've brought up, Stephen, putting yeah. development of Ohio football talent at a disadvantage with the Southern states. That's from the 419. This is Dan in Wisconsin. Doug, I buy into your take of the indestructibility of Ohio State as a program. I was ranking your options and then saw your question at the end about me truly believing it that anything is really a threat. I immediately stopped ranking what you had listed and hit submit after answering no from Dan in Wisconsin. So, like, if your answer is like, there is no threat, like, okay. Like, I, I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh, the emotional response would be Michigan, but the Michigan issue is a symptom of, symptom of real problems, not the actual problem. Defensive coaches are the problem. The symptoms are poor recruiting development and performance. That's from the 480. Um, so I'm reading all of these. I can't get to all of them. Maybe I'll work some more into a, to a previous pod, uh, to a, a podcast down the line. Really good answers from our tech subscribers. We always... What you guys say influences us. And so just the last one that I had, Stephen, and this was ninth on our list, was like just the fact of the 12-team playoff makes it harder on everybody. The expansion of the playoff that requires winning multiple playoff games to win a title. That was last of the nine. Again, the texter vote, Ryan Day leaving in a misfire, falling behind in NIL, the rise and success of Michigan, population and recruiting edges in the South, internal defensive issues that don't get fixed, the loss of assistance like Brian Hartline, the addition of USC and UCLA, the Big Ten improving overall, and the expansion of the playoff that just makes you win more games. I don't really buy this, Stephen, because the thing that I've always said about the playoff is Ohio State's issue is not winning, it's getting in. Mm-hmm. And so most of the time, they're at least competitive in the playoff. They got blown out in 16. They were competitive in 19. 20 against Alabama, the title game is just like a little bit weird, but I don't see that as a knock against them. They're right to the wire with Georgia. So I actually think the 12-team playoff increases Ohio State's chances of winning a national title, doesn't decrease it, but it's just going to be harder than any for everybody because you're going to have to win three or four playoff games against really good teams. So I thought it was worth throwing on there. But the Texters didn't think it was that big of a deal. No, I actually don't think it's that big of a deal either because, I mean, Ohio State's been competitive in every playoff game it's played in. Other than the one playoff game, it was very obvious before they even kicked off that they had no business being there. So when Ohio State is there and supposed to be there – they're competitive unless something crazy happens. And so 
I almost think Ohio State's one of the teams who's probably best equipped to go on those type of runs to win four straight if they need to right now. Now, we'll see after three years of this 12-team playoff if that comes to fruition or not, but them, Georgia, Bama, that's probably where my list ends right now of teams where I feel comfortable. If they're not a top seed and they have to go the long haul to win a national title, I'd put a little money on that bet. 2002 Ohio State, which is a miracle team, and by the way, had a pretty good amount of talent also. I'm not sure 2002 Ohio State would have won at a 12-team playoff. It's like you were living on a razor's edge the whole time anyway to get to 14-0. and Now you have to get to 17-0. and That would have been a tough world. But with the talent Ohio State has, and then again, we feel like the playoff accentuates what they do best. You get them in warm weather. You get them indoors. You let Ryan Dace and Brian Hartline, everybody else scheme it up, and you let your talent on offense win, that's not a bad way to try to win in a playoff and win multiple games. So I I just didn't have anything else. Is there anything else that you had on your mind at all, Stephen, when we talk about threats to Ohio State? Yeah, I had one, and it's, I think, become a thing amongst the fans that they've talked about a little bit more and more, especially with these last two Michigan losses. It's just stagnation within the program, whether it's, you know, more coaches have like the Greg Strudrawa approach to recruiting where it's not working out. Or I feel like I've been talking bad about Larry Johnson a lot in these last pods, which is why I'm glad he got Justin Scott to give me a chance to not to. But listen, man, Zach Harrison was one of the 10 best players in the country coming out of high school. And he was good, not great. JC Tui Maloa and Jack Sawyer were two of the five best players in the country coming out of high school. And they were good. And we'll see. The story is not good, but so far, good, not great. Baron Browning was one of the top 10 players in the country. Good, not great. Sean Wade, one of the top 10 players in the country. Good, not great. You've brought this up to me a couple of times in conversation. Like the idea of there's one thing to find guys who are maybe hidden gems and you turning them into something great like a Chris Olave or Dewan Jones. There is an art to turning five-star players in the first round draft picks. And the wide receivers are doing it. The quarterbacks are doing it. Paris Johnson did it because he's Paris. Like, what if that is not clicking? What if that stops clicking? You know, it's great that you got Justin Scott, but what happens when he gets here? It'll be really great if you got Dylan Stewart and Edric Houston, but what happens when they get here and you actually have to put them on the field? We've talked over the moon about CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles, but what if they never, what if that five-star recruit doesn't become a five-star player? That that's it. That becomes an issue because then it, you get on these stages with these other teams that you're seeing eye to eye with on the recruiting trail, but their recruits are turning into studs and your recruits are turning into good, not great. Stagnation would have been a top three thing on this list at the end of the Jim Trestle era. That was a primary concern, the difference between continuity and staleness. And when you went through that staff, and you thought, are these the very best guys in the country or are these Tress's guys? And I think it's pretty clear that the answer was these are Jim Tressel's guys. And especially once Daryl Hazel left on the offensive side of the ball, they just they weren't there. And so this is interesting. And when we talk about internal hires and when we talk about our Parker Fleming and Corey Dennis – and Keenan Bailey, the very best guys in the country that you could get? Or are they just guys that Ryan Day is comfortable with? 
I think when you look at the defensive side, and again, I think it's you wind up in a world where you're trusting the other side of the ball. And it's like, hey, I'm not an expert there. I need the best. And Tim Walton and Perry Aliano and mm-hmm. Jim Knowles and Larry Johnson, and you throw James Laurinaitis in there, I think you're, you're making conversations about these are the best guys you can get. And then on the side of the ball where you're an expert and you want guys that you're comfortable with, it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous. So I think it is a smart thing to bring up. I don't think we'll see a repeat of the end of the Trestle era, but it ties in a little bit to the conversations we've had about some of the internal hires, and you just have to be careful. And I don't want to just limit that to the football coaches either because you can get comfortable with strength and conditioning. I think Mark Pantoni has continued to evolve with a position that exists because of him. So he continues to be the guy leading. I mean, they've got a summit, a recruiting summit every year. So he continues to be that. I've seen enough. Is Mick still the guy there? I'm not there, but everything evolves. And just because you are one of the best to ever do it doesn't mean you are still that in this day and age. And that's the hard thing about sports is that's that's a, that was Mark Pantoni and Mick Morardi were two comfortable hires because they were already here. They were Jim Chessel guys who were clearly the standard for what they did. When you've got legends like Fat, the same thing with Larry Johnson, the same thing with Kerry Combs when he was here. Just because they're legends doesn't mean you don't have to continue to reevaluate and make sure they're maximizing what they need to be doing here. So when I say development of the five stars, I'm not just talking about the dude who's supposed to teach him the hand movements and, you know, on the football stuff. I mean the actual full-fledged physical development of guys. I will be very – I think it's a very good point. I also will be very intrigued for the day when Ryan Day makes an offensive hire of a guy he doesn't know. Yeah. Justin Fry's. In the tree. Yeah. He knows Justin Fry. He knows Keenan Bailey. He knows Corey Dennis. He knows Parker Fleming. It it's just like he inherited Tony Alford and like it's fine. I'm not I'm not saying but I just think Urban Meyer, and this is what happens as you get older. Urban Meyer had his guys, and then he got to Ohio State and he did not know Tom Herman he thought he needed a refresh. And so he thought, all right, I'm just going to go like interview guys Mm -hmm. and hire smart guys. And Tom Harmon was just some, some guy running a no huddle at Iowa state. And look what happened. And so I don't think this is around the corner, especially on the offense. I don't think they're going to get stale tomorrow, but discomfort is a good thing. And urban Meyer hired Tom Herman. And then also later he hired the best man from his wedding. So like sometimes you just hire the most qualified person who you know nothing about because they're really good at their job and they've proven something and you say, that guy seems good. So just like they did with Perry Eliano. Mm-hmm. No Jim Knowles. You just hire the best guy you can hire. Anyway, on alert. All right, that's our list. Brian Hartline leaving early. NIL, Big Ten getting better. The rise of Michigan. Quarterback recruiting strength in the South, Ryan Day leaving, the arrival of USC and UCLA, defensive issues continuing, and not really meaning it. What if it's just hard to win a bunch of playoff games? Threats to Ohio State, that's our list. I thought it was a worthwhile exercise. You guys can talk amongst yourselves what you think are real threats and what aren't. We may discuss a little bit more in a future pod. I didn't get to all the text or answers I wanted to include, and there were some people who sent in some really good expansive thoughts that we didn't have time for today. We'll try to get to them later. But for now, 
For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs> <laughs>